My name is Charles Turk, and along with Doug Watterson, we are the sub-advisors co-managing the Nine Point Alternative Health Fund. The fund, now four and a half years old, continues to outperform its benchmark and other related indexes that investors use periodically to compare our performance. And we believe that there is significant upside for the fund for the second half of 2021. A key component of the performance of the fund is the diversified nature of the portfolio, investing in healthcare and pharmaceuticals, along with health and wellness companies, all supporting our focus in the cannabis industry. We remind investors that healthcare, pharmaceuticals, and wellness stocks are all part of the reopening trade to which investors should have exposure. And the second half of 2021 provides great opportunities for growth. We recall last year when elective surgeries and hospital visits were postponed. 2021 is a breakout year. In addition, with mass vaccination, the pharmaceutical companies are growing their bottom line as investors appreciate the value of the IP that created these vaccines under emergency approvals all over the world. And let's just take a minute to look at the Q2 results of some of these companies. As an example, Pfizer. If any company could hit it out of the park during the second quarter of 2021, Pfizer did it. They recorded revenues of $18.9 billion in the quarter with net profit of over $5.5 billion. More importantly, 41% of overall revenue for Pfizer came from the vaccine distribution and rollout, 40%. Can you imagine any other company as well positioned in vaccination distribution as Pfizer? Now, during the quarter, Pfizer also released results of its clinical trial into its COVID-19 booster. And subsequent to quarter end, it was announced that the FDA has now approved or granted full approval, not just emergency use, for the COVID-19 vaccine, which should not only help Pfizer, but is helping the rest of the world reopen the global economy. Another company I want to mention in our top holdings is Johnson & Johnson also reported strong Q2 results, revenues over 23 billion, with really the important thing here is we suggested earlier this year, as the pandemic turned the corner, demand in the device and elective surgery sectors would position J&J well. Well, in the second quarter on the medical device side of the business, the trauma business division had growth of 24.8%. Hip replacements are up 68%. Knee replacements, knee surgery, 94%. So you can see as we leave our homes and become more active, these ailments, these elective surgeries are now clicking in. So all reflecting market dynamics that we anticipate continuing strongly into the second quarter. Now, healthcare is reopening, allowing patients to visit doctors and other health professionals. And so these long overdue medical appointments is also helping companies in the portfolio like United Health Group, Humana, and AMN. So lesser known AMN, it's a healthcare staffing company. Clients of the company include acute care hospitals, government facilities, and community health centers. Now AMN is well positioned to capture both on long-term trends from an aging population, but also from job turnover, burnout, 
and increased healthcare spending related to the post-pandemic push. In Q2, AMN's revenues reached $157 million with EBITDA of $133 million, net income $66 million. So these are all companies that we see well-positioned for the reopening trade, giving our clients and investors exposure to the healthcare and pharmaceutical areas. Now, from the pharmacy and wellness perspective, the portfolio also gives you exposure to leading names like Jameson Wellness, a great Canadian success story. This is one of those pure play nutraceutical supplements businesses that is doing extremely well. Second quarter, revenues up 18% to 110 million and EBITDA in the second quarter, $22 million. So over 20% EBITDA in the second quarter alone. Now, turning to the cannabis focus of the portfolio, we note that since the February 10 peak, the multi-state operator, excuse me, start again. Turning to the cannabis focus of the portfolio, we note that since the February 10 peak, the multi-state operators or MSOs on average are down more than 35%. Now, from our perspective, investor exuberance in the cannabis space anticipated significant short-term federal regulatory change, something that we have always stated would be more gradual. This has created now a compelling investment opportunity as the sell-off has occurred despite continued strong financial results, as well as the opening of new adult use markets in New York, New Jersey, Virginia, and Connecticut, all passing adult use legislation, with New Jersey actually starting its adult use program potentially in Q4 of this year, representing significant growth for the MSOs that operate in that state. Keeping in mind, when we talk about the excitement and exuberance, keep in mind of the trajectory that occurred in Arizona when adult use sales began early this year. So all of this takes place while company fundamentals across the US continue to improve. We continue to remain very bullish on the US cannabis space. July 14 was a significant day for the cannabis industry in the, U in the US, as it marked the first time that a US Senate majority leader presented sweeping cannabis reform on the floor of the Senate. The tabling of the Cannabis Administration and Opportunity Act brings important positive momentum to the federal cannabis reforms from the leadership of the Senate and presents a roadmap for an important voter-supported issue. The proposal has many aspects to it, and some believed maybe too many to get through Congress, and that may have caused some of the negative reaction in equity markets. But we need to remember that politicians are not embracing cannabis as much as they embrace the benefits of cannabis, meaning jobs and tax revenue. As a result, even though cannabis legislation is not actively supported by the White House. Cannabis legislation may be less of a challenge relative to other White House proposals, such as the current infrastructure spending bill, climate change, or voter rights changes. And cannabis could become easier to pass. The issue though, is that passing any legislation, even on areas where there is broad agreement, it's become extraordinarily challenging in the current highly partisan environment in Washington. 
So investors have been focused on the fact that the proposal does not have the votes in the Senate. But what's interesting to look at is the silence from the other side of the aisle in the Republican Party. Consider this, given the benefits, sorry, let me say that again. Consider this, given the benefits of the proposal, Senator Mitch McConnell, the former Senate Majority Leader, Republican from Kentucky, may appreciate the CBD hemp provisions within the bill that Senator Schumer has tabled. Keeping in mind that Kentucky tobacco farmers have all become Kentucky hemp farmers in the last five years. And maybe Senator Joe Manchin, uh, a Democrat from West Virginia, but um, someone who is not always voting with the Democrats. He may likely be aware of the growing medical program as well as the research showing opioid use has declined significantly in his state. These are all positives that are under the radar, but form the calculus of getting legislation passed, important in getting votes. Already, a pair of congressional Republicans are urging President Biden to keep his campaign promise and reschedule marijuana under the Controlled Substances Act. Representatives Joyce and Young, both co-chairs of the Congressional Cannabis Caucus, sent a letter to the president suggesting the reform is a matter of public health. There's yet another and possibly more coordinated effort led by a coalition of prominent national advocacy and business organizations that are seeking to end prohibition and criminalization of cannabis in the United States. The group called the Cannabis Freedom Alliance recently released a white paper that provides recommendations to help guide the effort toward federal legalization. Leadership of the group includes right-wing billionaire Charles Koch. In addition, he is supported by Snoop Dogg and criminal justice reform advocate Weldon Angelos. He himself previously incarcerated for marijuana possession. In our opinion, the involvement of Charles Koch is particularly notable given the rich history that the Koch brothers have in deep involvement in the political process in Washington over many decades. Regardless though, of whether federal legalization happens, we believe that the US may be approaching a tipping point in terms of whether US federal legislation is, in, is an impediment to growth or not. There is significant momentum outside Washington, which could make any federal changes less impactful given the difficulties of finding agreement across party lines. Now, there are also high profile examples of this trend with companies such as Amazon and Walmart already announcing that they are no longer willing to require employees to be tested for marijuana. Another significant change in corporate America was seen in June when Apple announced that it would no longer ban licensed cannabis businesses on its app store. Their previous policy said, apps that encourage minors to consume any of these substances will be rejected. Their updated policy reads, apps that facilitate the legal sale of cannabis must be geo-restricted to the corresponding legal jurisdiction. Now, we don't believe that Apple would make such a change lightly or without believing that the environment had changed significantly. 
So again, when you see corporate America embracing change, that's what causes change in Washington. There's also significant pressure being put on federal legislation from the US Supreme Court, where we see Justice Clarence Thomas, one of the court's most conservative justices, issuing a statement criticizing what he defined as a half in, half out regime at the federal level, simultaneously tolerating and forbidding the local use of marijuana. Thomas also said the court's ruling in 2005 upholding federal laws making marijuana possession illegal may now be outdated. He also zeroed in on the necessity of cannabis dispensaries to transact with cash, given limitations around the banking that makes cannabis operations attractive targets for theft, which could be viewed as an indirect endorsement of the Safe Banking Act. His comments are getting a lot of attention as he is seen, as I said, as one of the most conservative voices in the United States. Now, by examining the components of all these statements and the various proposals, there's the potential for political deal-making. And in that light, we can better understand the significance and the potential for reform in the not too distant future. The momentum is clearly in favor of more open, legal, state-by-state -state cannabis markets, aided by both large corporate acceptance and legal acquiescence. I would like to reiterate something that we have been saying for quite some time. The fund's investment thesis does not require federal cannabis reform. Regardless of the timing of federal legislative change, we believe that US cannabis companies maintain strong fundamentals combined with a growing state-by-state -state market, yet still not achieving the valuation metrics that the sector should attract. US MSOs trade at a fraction of the bloated valuations seen in the Canadian cannabis producers, where most of the names are not even able to generate positive cash flows. And yet we see many catalysts for the US operators. First, very strong Q2 financial results that came out mid-August show that the leading MSOs continue to generate double-digit revenue growth while also increasing cash flows and EBITDA, yet their trading multiples have not changed. We believe there will be an adjustment upwards in their valuations based on 2022 targets. We also see the unfolding of the New Jersey adult use market opening earlier than most people had anticipated, adding to positive surprises potentially by the end of this year. We also see the increase in medical ailments being included in other states, especially restrictive states such as Texas, adding significant potential in the second half of 21 and into 22. The addition of adult use markets with New York, New Jersey, Virginia, Connecticut, New Mexico, all having passed legislation this year with further positive momentum continuing to lead to other states. Delaware and Rhode Island could also be added to states in 2022. Let's not forget the midterm elections in 2022 could also force change for other states where ballot initiatives are being discussed for Ohio, Missouri, and Oklahoma. Now, a step change in valuations will come as a result of changes at the federal level, which will increase the pool of available investors. But in the meantime, there are significant catalysts to support higher valuations. And we also see significant upside 
in our top U.S. cannabis holdings. Companies such as Trueleaf that came out recently with its Q2 revenue reaching $215 million in the quarter with an EBITDA margin of 44%. They operate 91 stores across the U.S. and with its recent acquisition of Harvest Health and Recreation, will have 140 stores operating in 12 states and will be the first company generating over $2 billion in revenue next year. It's anticipated that their EBITDA number comes in somewhere around $1.2 billion. No Canadian cannabis company even comes close. Another top holding in the cannabis space is Green Thumb Industries, announcing its 10th consecutive earnings beat, revenue $222 million in the second quarter alone, revenue up 14%, EBITDA close to $80 million, year-over-year revenue growth 85%. So again, we see companies that are executing, generating top-line revenue growth and bottom-line positive cash flow, and in the case of, of Green Thumb Industries, positive net income. Cureleaf, with its large footprint in 23 states, innovative new product formats, and growth into Europe, generated over $300 million in revenue, which was a 20% quarter-over-quarter growth rate, generating EBITDA of over $86 million. So this is what we mean by fundamental strength in the U.S. cannabis industry. That's why we believe so strongly that the companies well-positioned to take advantage of any legislative change are in the United States. Now, briefly, let's look at the Canadian cannabis market because everyone always asks, why are you under-invested in Canada? The Canadian cannabis producers have very different issues to face. Rather than significant growth, there's continued oversupply and especially in the value category, it means cultivation costs are not being absorbed in addition to excessive taxes at the federal and provincial level. We see these as the two primary reasons why profits and the largest Canadian LPs for the most part will be elusive for the short to medium term, if not longer. Our view is that if it weren't for the enthusiastic retail investor base, many of Canada's largest cannabis companies would be without the lifeline offered by ATM financings or at the market financings. Our opinion is that without ATM financings, some would have already gone out of business. The growth that is being witnessed in the United States markets is not being replicated north of the border. Canadian sales growth hovers around three to 5% versus the double digit growth that's occurring in most markets in the US. Cannabis sales in Canada grew modestly in the spring, according to Statistics Canada, but at the same time, we're seeing delays and reductions in the number of SKUs or product offerings in the provincial regulatory system. A further negative note on the Canadian market was released from Health Canada, disclosing that 19% of all cannabis cultivation in 2020 was destroyed as unsold or unsellable, which was higher than the 15% destroyed in 2019 or 11% in 2018. 
This trend is not positive, and it illustrates that there is more unsold cultivation at a time when more stores are opening, yet customers are not interested in the lack of quality being generated, and now provinces are reducing the number of SKUs due to lack of sales demand. So what do we like in the Canadian market? We see select growth prospects in terms of companies taking market share from larger, less agile licensed producers. One company that continues to gain market share is Village Farms. VFF now holds the number four spot in the Canadian flower market with a 7.2% um, position of the adult use cannabis market up 2% from the first quarter of 2021. Its growth in market share comes at a time when the market has been flat and its largest peers like Tilray, Hexo and Canopy have each lost two or 3% quarter over quarter. VFF has seen its Canadian adult use sales increase 42% over the last few quarters, while its larger peers have seen sales declines. So the Canadian market in our opinion is one where we need to be selective in owning those names we believe in while avoiding those companies where we believe operational challenges could prevent upside in stock performance, particularly when these companies are trading at such elevated valuations. In conclusion, we continue to see significant upside for the fund from our healthcare and pharmaceutical weightings that are benefiting from the reopening of the economy to new consumer focus on nutrition and immunity, boosting health and wellness benefits, as well as the continued opening of new markets within the US cannabis industry. We see strong results in the second half of this year and we appreciate your continued investment in the fund. As a reminder, the Nine Point Alternative Health Fund launched in March of 2017 is Canada's first actively managed fund with a focus in the cannabis sector and remains open to new investors available per for purchase daily. An ETF version of the fund is now available for investors as well. Utilizing our actively managed approach, we are able to generate industry-leading risk-adjusted returns. So with that, on behalf of Doug Watterson, my name is Charles Turk, and thanks for listening.